This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. What does it look like for you to say yes in agreement with that? What does it look like for your life to come in alignment with the truth and the reality that God can rebuild and God can restore? Do you believe? Have we seen this throughout the history of Scripture and throughout the history of the world that God can restore and rebuild? Amen? If the word is true, and history is a picture of it, we've seen this movement of God facing all difficulties prevail because we believe that we have an unstoppable God with an unstoppable church. But do you believe that you can be part of that plan? I think that the plan is the part where we have to say yes. I think sometimes we want to say we have an unstoppable God because that's exciting. A lot of times we want to say we have an unstoppable church because, hey, if we're unstoppable, then we're not going to die, but we're going to be resurrected into eternity with God forever, enduring through death into life. Right? That's exciting. But what does it look like to be part of God's plan today? And have we said yes? Do you believe that ministry is a pathway to maturity. That mentorship is a pathway to maturity. And that discipleship, according to Jesus, is the combination of ministry and mentorship in one for the glory of God. In this, I believe that God trains and sends people. So my question is, in the part of God's plan with an unstoppable God and an unstoppable plan, using an unstoppable church, have we come to the plan and said, yes, I want to be a part of what you're doing in this world? I want to ask you this morning to be thinking through this as we go through this sermon. What have you done since the first day? What have you done since the first day? Since the first day you met your best friend? Since the first day you met your spouse, since the first day in your new job, since the first day maybe in your new school, or maybe the first day you met your daughter or your son or your grandson or your granddaughter, what have you done since the first day? And Paul's first day in Ephesus came sometime around 52 AD as he was traveling through the area specifically Asia Minor. He's traveling for it through a couple different cities. He stops in Asia for a moment. We saw this a few sermons ago. And then he comes back sometime around 53, 54 AD and will leave around 55 AD, spending somewhere around two solid years in Ephesus, which is a significant amount of time for Paul. So let's ask the question, what did Paul do since his first day? He came to Ephesus on a, in, on a, for a reason, 
a significant purpose, and that is life transformation, recognizing the new and unstoppable God. And there was this unstoppable movement happening through his people. He constantly asked God, what is your plan? And follows that. And in this moment, in this time for Paul, for this missionary, for this man who's seen transformation in his own life, the plan was to go to Ephesus and spend a significant amount of time there. But the way he's going to do that is by investing in a few, raising them up, and then leaving them to lead. Since the first day he got there, that's what he's doing. He's raising up church leaders. He calls them in a moment elders, overseers. He's raising up these leaders to stay in Ephesus and to lead. Now backtrack with me just a moment and ask this question. Where were we just at with Ephesus? Nick, our pastoral intern, left off last week with a riot in Ephesus, right? Chanting out, great is this Artemis, this, uh, this God they believe in, rioting in the city, attempting persecution, rejection for the Christians. So when we leave Ephesus, the last time we saw Ephesus, we saw them in riot coming against the Christians. And I want to bring you into now what Paul is doing and continually ask yourselves this question, what have you done with your life and how have you invested your life? We're going to see three examples of how Paul does this. He took people along in ministry. He met with people and trained them. And he led them intentionally. Now this isn't the only model, but this is the model that Luke shows us. Luke wrote Acts. He gives us this picture of the early church, right? It's the early church figuring things out, getting a model in place, uh, following after God and asking questions like, what does the early church do? Who leads the church? All these different questions they're asking, they're putting things in place so that the church can be healthy, thrive in the city, grow in the city, impact the city, and the gospel might go into the midst of darkness and light it up. So what would it look like? Paul gives us a little bit of an example as he shows us the importance of gathering together, shows us the importance of strong leadership, and shows us the importance of raising up disciples who can lead an established and healthy church. So when our pastoral intern Nick left off, we saw a city fighting against itself. The Jews against the Greeks, the Jews and the Greeks against the Christians, and all fighting. Do you feel like you might be in a similar culture? Wars rage, protest rage, infighting amongst green parties that used to work together, rage, families against one another. Do you see a culture that looks like it's in ruin? Do you see a culture that looks like it's rioting? Do you see a culture that's attacking itself? Do you see a culture that looks broken? Do you see a culture that looks like it is living in the midst of darkness? Because that's what Paul saw. And I want to show you what he did, how he led, and then how he left. So let's look at how Paul took people along for ministry. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. After the uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples, encouraged them, sent for the disciples, encouraged them, and after saying farewell, he departed to go to Macedonia. 
And when he had passed through those areas and offered them many words of encouragement, encouraged and encouraged, he came to Greece and stayed three months. The Jews plotted against him. Nothing new there. When he was about to set sail for Syria, and so he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Phyrus, and Berea, uh, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy and Tychicus from Trophimus, and uh, from the province of Asia. These men went on, went on ahead and waited for us in Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the festival of the leavened bread, and in five days we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. So what you see here is logistics. What is Paul actually doing? But if we just skip through this and don't slow down for a moment, what we might not see is how Paul is doing ministry. Paul is doing ministry with. I often think about it that way. Are you doing ministry with someone? Uh, strategically, practically here at Westminster Baptist Church, we encourage every single group to do two missional experiences every single year because we want you to do life together, but we also want you to serve together. If ministry is the pathway to maturity, let's do ministry together. And the reason for that, Paul gives us an example of it, but not just Paul. Christ. Jesus showed us this. Doing ministry with His disciples. He did not just sit and teach. He did not just memorize. He walked. He did ministry providing for others, caring for others, sacrificing Himself for the good of others, showing those who followed with Him how to grow in maturity. Ministry is the pathway to maturity. Do it with one another. You can see it in two different ways when He's encouraging them. He's encouraging them as they go because He's going into the places where they're plotting against their own life. Like people are trying to kill them and Paul's encouraging them. Let's keep going. Even to the point where when they separate, Luke goes with him. As you see that word, we, but we sailed away. Uh, Luke goes with Paul, but the others are separated from him and they keep doing it. You see the with, but you see also the sending. Let's go together. Let's encourage one another. But you guys go over here and minister. We're going to go over here and minister. Let's minister together. And I'm encouraging you. Do you do life together? Do you minister together? Paul shows us the example. Paul shows us the example of how to engage culture when it's broken, when it is in darkness. And it's to do ministry together. So, what have you been doing from the first day? From the first time you met your spouse, from the first time you met your friend, from the first time you started your job, and from the first time you started at your school, have you been doing ministry together? Let's move forward. Let's look at how Paul met with people to teach and train them. It's a fascinating story right here, okay? Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. We're just going to continue. It says, On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread, which is giving us an example of what we ought to do when we gather together. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Now, pause with me for a second. That's a significant amount of time, right? I think sometimes we sell ourselves short on what we can focus in on. Um, what you love, you can spend time doing, right? They say time flies when you're having fun. I think the question really is not, can we invest our time in teaching and training? The question is, do we love God's Word? Does your heart 
long for God's word? Does your heart long for people to speak into you, for mentorship to happen, teaching and training in small group environments where you can learn and grow, be challenged, convicted and compelled to do what God has for you? Because Paul kept on talking to midnight. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled. Just to throw that detail in there, like, how could you do that? It's pitch black outside. We got a lot of lamps. Verse 9, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill, young being some possibly 18 to 35, but probably under 18. So pretty young. In fact, the majority of disciples and people would follow Christ and Paul were really young. Examples would be Timothy and all of uh, Jesus' disciples, like Peter, were very young. They didn't have to pay taxes when they went into cities. So they, we know that they were like sub-16, sub-17 age. They were really young in our, in our culture to be doing what they were doing. But they were doing it. They were going. This young man is listening to Paul. But he chose an unfortunate place, and his name actually means fortunate, but this was an unfortunate place to be sitting on a windowsill and sinking. And I just want to say for a second... If you ever get the idea of like falling asleep during sermons, I want you to focus in real quick on this one, okay? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we'll protect you. Uh, we don't have any windows in here for a reason. Um, his name Eutychus, and he was sitting on a windowsill, and he sank into a deep sleep. And now that deep sleep word, now I'll give you guys a little break here. Okay, it's not just that he fell asleep, but that word actually symbolizes something like he was dragged into a sleep almost as if something else was causing him to go into this sleep. So he's brought into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, don't be alarmed because he's alive. Now you might say, after seeing that verse, you might say, well, it says because he's alive, so... They thought he was dead. Like when he fell, they were like, okay, he hasn't passed away. So they went down and found out that he was actually alive. Uh, that is not the case. That word actually, because he's alive, even though translated accurately, uh, those words mean something more active, as if when Paul bent down, he actually was doing something proactive in bringing back to life, just like we see through all, throughout all of Scripture. In verse 11, it says, after going upstairs, breaking the bread, which I don't know how you do that, like after that kind of a miracle, right? Like it's, it's unbelievable what happened in this moment. Breaking the bread and eating, Paul talked a long time until dawn. So did you note that down? They, they may have been up all night, right? He kept on talking till midnight, but then something happened. And then they just kept on talking until dawn. Something significant took place to the point where he just kept investing, kept investing in these individuals. It says, then he left. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. What does it look like for you to invest time in teaching and training one another? It doesn't mean that we just go, we only go, and we never teach or train, but instead we go together. We do ministry together. But there are times when we need to sit down, focus in, and go, okay, how can I grow? What can I do to be better? Would you invest in me? I'll invest in you. Challenge me. Grow me. I'm not perfect. As that song said, we are not perfect. Self-righteousness says I'm good. I have what I need. You don't, I don't need anybody to speak into my life. That's anti-Christianity. Christianity says I was not good. I didn't have what I needed. I need Christ, and I constantly need Christians around me who can grow me and challenge 
challenge me to be who God has called me to be. We need each other for ministry. We do ministry with one another, but we need each other for life. We do life with each other. We need one another for ministry and for life. I want you to take a look at how Paul led people in ministry in Acts chapter 20, verse 13 through 16. We're going to look specifically how Paul was leading. It says in verse 13, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul on board, because these were his instructions. You see that? Paul gave instructions to Luke and the others, and they followed, because these were his instructions, since he himself was going by land. When he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. Sailing from there, the next day we arrived off Chios. The following day we crossed over to Samos, and the day after we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending, and see that again, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. Do you see Paul's leadership in there? You see, God ha- we have an unstoppable God and using an unstoppable church, but what's his unstoppable plan? Sometimes we need those people around us who can lead us. That's what Paul is doing. He's leading them. He's saying, okay, you guys go this way. We're going to go this way. Okay, you guys get on that boat. We're going to go by land. He's organizing and strategizing to make sure the right people are in the right place, but he is the one that is leading. We need people in our life that can lead us. We need people in our life that can give us guidance and direction, people that we trust, people that God has raised up around us that we will trust. This is one of the most difficult things to teach a child and a teenager, right? I mean, it is unbelievably hard to teach them that what you are saying is right, even though they don't want to believe it. Y'all with me? Come on, I think everybody in here is so amped up about that. Preach. Like, I, I didn't hear anybody say preach, but I felt it. Y'all, it's so difficult, but as adults, we don't grow out of that. And if we ever think we do, we stop growing. So we definitely don't grow out of what we're never growing, right? So we have to get to the point where we say, okay, I don't, I don't care where I'm at right now. Let me find somebody around me who can speak into my life. Like I said earlier, who can lead me? Who can lead you? If we ever think that we are more righteous or perfect or unleadable, then we stop growing and moving away from who Christ is, who said, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand so that he may raise you up in due time. So we look for people like Paul who can lead us, or we lead others like Paul led. Before we read Paul's message, before we move forward to Paul's message to the elders from Ephesus, I want to ask you a few questions. Do you, coming from this, coming straight from this, all right, so just for a moment, think about this. Do you pray, as, as uh, the pastoral intern Nick said, do you pray for the people God has put you around? He challenged us to do that last week. I just want to follow up with that. Have you been praying for those that God has put you around? Even when it looks like darkness and brokenness, Paul was praying, investing. Are you? Are we? Do you take people along to do ministry with you? When's the last time you said, hey, I'm going to go 
care for some needs that I know about, and I just want to take some people along with me to grow in maturity, that, they, that one day I might actually be able to send them out to do the same. Are you taking people along with you in ministry? Are you, uh, do you meet with people to invest in them? Are you sitting down to teach and train someone how to grow in their walk with Christ as they go, but also as they sit with the Lord, teaching them how to grow, teaching them how to go? Is the mission of this church to gather together, to grow together, and to go together? As we often say, we link arms and we go into battle. Paul gives us this model. Are you linking arms with others? And finally, do you provide leadership for people around you? Maybe you feel like you're not specifically a leader or called into leadership, but that's not the question. The question is, can we be like Paul to seek out the truth, seek out God's plan, and then deliver that plan? Maybe you say, I'm not the one that stands up. I'm not the one that always speaks out. I'm not the one who's always taking charge. Okay, but how can God use you? How can God's plan work through you to others that they might say yes also? Acts chapter 20, 17 through 38. This is Paul's address to the elders at Ephesus. It says, Now from Miletus, uh, Miletus he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, you know that I did not hesitate to proclaim anything to you that was profitable and to teach you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Pause there for a moment. See what he just said. He spent time with them to the point where they've heard him teach publicly and work with them. It took these Ephesian elders somewhere around four days in total travel time. Two there, one to two there, and one to two back. It's, they, they, they spent time to get to Paul, and this is his speech to them. This is his, his encouragement to them as they're about to go back to Ephesus. And he starts with, hey, you know who I am, Right? You know what you've seen in me. You, you've seen me stay strong in this. Verse 24. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. From 52 A.D. to 55 A.D., he spent time with them, investing them, growing them. These elders are the ones who are going to lead in the midst of darkness, in the midst of difficult times. They're going to lead. And Paul tells them, I'm never going to see you again. What a rallying speech. Like, we traveled two days to see you, Paul, and now you're telling us you'll never see us again. Can you put yourself in the place of the elders, the difficulty of hearing these moments? In fact, they say it later in the passage. But as you work through it, just think about, try to put yourself in those emotions of Paul, our leader, the guy who led us and instructed us and guided us and walked with us and protected us. He's going away and we'll never see him again. Verse 26. 
Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up, even from your own number, and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. And now I commit to you God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. And in every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement. Here it is, that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. What have you been doing from the first day? What have you been doing since the first day you met that person or you started that job or you were in that school? What have you been doing since the first day? We get a glimpse of what Paul has been doing through the message that he gives. It's an unbelievable message. If you see the heart in it, if you see what he sacrificed in it, working a full-time job to pay for it so that he could just invest in them, traveling and being threatened to be killed. He did all these difficult things just so that the church of God would be built up in this city where there was no established church. It's unbelievable to see what Paul had done in this early, growing, baby church. There was no financial establishment where they could have a full-time pastor like we do. It's a blessing from God. But Paul laid the foundation for that, and we get to see it through his heart in these moments, raising up these elders who were fighting to serve the kingdom of God in some difficult seasons. As a church, we are extremely blessed. We don't face many of these difficulties, right? We have the financial abilities to provide for lights and cooling and three full-time pastors to provide care and instruction, guidance and love. We're able to sit in wonderful, comfortable chairs have awesome worship team cameras so that we can see uh, through social media and video afterwards. We have unbelievable resources at the dispense of God's kingdom. God, the unstoppable God, with an unstoppable plan, an unstoppable church, and unlimited resources. It seems like we have so much at right in front of us to be able to use for the kingdom of God. And I think Paul gives us a model here, right? Because if we do everything else right, if we have buildings and lights and all these different things, TVs, projectors, everything, if we have all this stuff, but we don't make disciples, we have failed. In fact, I'd say even further, if we have all of these things and don't raise up elders, overseers, shepherds, as the scripture says, we failed. We are raising up the next generations of of leaders at Westminster Baptist Church and not just us. You too. Parents, your children. They're the next gen. Grandparents, your grandkids. Maybe somebody at your workplace is the next pastor of a local church. 
What are you doing to invest in the next generation? How are you being intentional with those whom God has given you to oversee? Now, I want you to look specifically at this passage because we're looking at what this passage has to say. And it starts with this word, elder. And this is an important word because did you notice what happened here? Paul is uniting the church by establishing leaders who could bring them together to gather and do the Lord's Supper, hear the apostolic teaching, to worship and pray together. He's uniting the church around this idea that you're going to have an elder, overseer, shepherd, who's going to walk with you, using the same three terms to refer to one title. He brings it together to say, you're going to have unity in the church. Because when the wolves come, we need to have some people who are strong enough to fight against it, right? When men rise up and distort the truth, we need to have some people in the church who can stand firm on the truth and speak back at lies. Amen? This is what the elder, overseer, shepherd, shepherd like a pastor, was supposed to mean. But it's so often in different churches and places we become divisive instead of united over terms. Do you see how the enemy works? Do you see how it's so easy to take a message that's so beautiful and divide rather than unite? At this church, we call ourselves pastors, but we, as it says in our bylaws, it says we are pastors, elders, overseers. Whatever you want to call us, I've said before, you can call us herdsmen. That's another way. It's another form of shepherd. Uh, herdsman, Matt's quite an interesting term, but I'll take it as long as you understand this, and we, uh, we, understand, we know this and, and can, can work around this, is that we are all called united together, but there are some that are called out from that to lead. There are some that are called out that, from that to protect. And what he's talking about here are those who have been called out to lead, to protect the sheep from the wolves and from the men who rise up. And now that might be me at Westminster Baptist Church plus Glenn and plus Bill, but at other churches, it's different people. And I want, you to, I want you to focus in on what happens here. Paul says to them, I'm not going to see you again, but go back to Ephesus. I'm not going to see you again, but go back to Ephesus. So as, as, as uh, Nick said last week, we see a culture that is broken. It's in darkness. It's frustrating. Is anybody frustrated? We get frustrated. We're angry sometimes. There gets a holy righteousness in us, like Jesus when he saw the temple being misused. Like if the temple is the earth and God reigns over it and we see this destruction around it, it's frustrating, right? But Paul doesn't look at the frustration and say, I'm done, let's give up. He says, go back. Stronger, united together. Standing up against lies. Yes, the wolves may come. But he says, be on guard and be on the alert. Why? Because you're going to lead the church in the midst of that darkness. We're not going to run out of there. As Nick said last week, he said, do we believe God can and will defeat the evils of today? False religions, political division, immorality, idolatry, and violence. Do we believe that God can draw those who don't believe in Jesus to himself? Do you believe? I asked you at the beginning of the sermon, do you believe that God can rebuild and restore? And you said, yes. 
If you believe that God can restore and rebuild, then even if the wolves come, we stand firm. Even when the world looks broken around us, we run into it. Just like the elders, not hopping on the ship with Paul, but headed back to Ephesus. Paul doesn't say to them that the wolves won't come, right? And he doesn't say that men won't rise up against them. Instead, he tells them to go back to the city that's chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Equipped disciples don't fear culture. They transform it. Equipped disciples don't fear culture. They transform it. They have been doing ministry with you in the midst of darkness. Therefore, they are not afraid of the darkness. If your children, your co-workers, teenagers, children in school have not been doing ministry in darkness with you, then they'll probably simply be afraid of darkness when they're not with you. That or just cave in and give in. You see, Paul said, shows us, says to do ministry together in the midst of darkness. Equip disciples who've done ministry in the midst of darkness aren't afraid of it. They don't back away from it. They don't speak against it. They run into it, sharing the grace of God, the mercy of God into it, that they might transform what is evil and wicked into what is good and righteous. Equip disciples don't fear the culture. They transform it. They sat with you and learned from you. Not only have they done ministry with you, but they've done leadership with you. They've been trained with you. They've been led distinctly by you to say, go here, do this, grow this way. We're going to work together. We're going to gather, grow, and go together. Remain strong and be on guard in the middle of these wolves, but don't back down. Because equipped disciples, they run in the midst of darkness. They don't run away. But fear... Fear drives us to escape darkness. Fear drives us away from the wolves. People who don't, haven't done ministry in the darkness just simply talk bad about the darkness. But equipped disciples, they preach good news, not bad news. We can leave the world to the breaking news, bad news. We got the good news. Y'all with me? So don't be afraid. The Lord is with you in the darkness. He literally came down from heaven into it. Into the midst of the wolves and onto the cross for you and for me. So take your children. Take your spouse. Take your co-worker. And go run in the midst of darkness to light it up. Parents, your kids aren't going to be strong in the midst of wolves and an evil culture by never taking them in the midst of darkness. For an illustration, for an example of what that looks like, it's like a basketball player who learns every single thing about basketball without ever playing the game and then being thrown into the NBA championship and expecting them to win. It simply won't happen. And it's not the model that Jesus gave us. Knowledge of the game doesn't mean you can win. We have to invest we have to invest by taking them with us, sitting with them, training them, and then sending them to go. So how are you investing in your friends? Are you sitting with them, taking them with you, going with them? 
I hope that you and I can be in a place, I hope this church can be in a place where we can say with Paul, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. That was Paul's goal. That's what he said right in the middle of it. He's like, man, I am innocent of the blood of all you. What does that mean? It means that he's preached the gospel so clearly. He's articulated it to all of them to the point where if they rebel and they choose not to agree and to walk away from it, it's not on him. His job is simply to preach the gospel. Your job, simply to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who works in people's lives. So if you've had that fear, release that fear because you're sent with the God who's going to do the one that changes. You might say, as you look at this, you might say, well, isn't this only for elders? You said elders, overseers, shepherds, those pastors. You said it was directed to them, right, Matt? It's true. But elders and shepherds are leading the church to follow them. Elders and shepherds are leading the church simply to follow Jesus. And if you want to follow Jesus, Jesus took people along for ministry. Right? Look at Mark 6. He sent them. Look at Mark 6. He met with them. Look at Mark 6. Jesus did exactly what Paul did. In fact, I would just say this. Paul probably just followed Jesus, right? And if we're following Jesus, we've got to do the same. Investing in people and challenging people to go with us. So I want to give you a gospel response this morning as the band comes. But before I do, it's, it's just such an interesting day to, to be here, to be preaching this message, because we have Pastor Larry here in the room. Pastor Larry is one of those ones who simply allowed and graciously allowed for ministry to continue at this church. Graciously allowing me to, to hand off the baton to me and allowing me to lead. Extremely graciously. Like a Paul, he's loved me, trained me, encouraged me, walked with me, put me in leadership roles that I'm not sure I deserve, but he's trusted me and encouraged me. At the same time, my dad's in the room. We have a man who's handed off the baton at Westminster Baptist Church, but also a man who's handed off the baton as a pastor has given me the opportunity to lead and pastor this church, training me and raising me up, investing in me. We literally see the picture in this room. So church, I challenge you. How are you investing in the person to your right and left? The next generation is going to walk into a difficult culture. Let's make sure they don't walk into a culture that they're unfamiliar with. Let's give them the tools to preach the gospel. Let's give them the strength to stand up when the wolves attack. Let's give them the truth that when men rise up and distort the truth, they know how to preach it. Let's give them the grace that when they walk into a room, other people see the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Let's train and send, not back down in fear. So your gospel response this morning, and I challenge you with it throughout, throughout this week and the next few weeks, is to take someone with you on a ministry opportunity in the next two weeks. Would you commit to say, look, I'm going to go do a ministry opportunity. I'm going to bring somebody along with me. Second, would you consider investing through a group? You may have been walking away from this for a long time, or maybe just during COVID it got super busy. I totally understand. 
Things just went crazy during COVID. It was unbelievable, right? We all leading in just unbelievable ways. Leading, loving, losing people. It's been a crazy few years. But in the midst of all that darkness, in the midst of all that mess, have you been meeting intentionally with someone, training, teaching them, and guiding them through it? If you haven't, I encourage you to do so. If you don't know how, I'd love to train you. And third, I would challenge you to prayerfully, in God's grace, lead others. Maybe in your job, your school, around you, whatever that looks like, praying to the Lord, God, give me the wisdom, the discernment, the faith to encourage and teach others where to go, how to go, to stand strong, to be encouraged. We are, as the church, the greatest leadership environment in the world because we have the model of the greatest leader. Are you leading? Don't back down. Because if we do, who will step up? I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to encourage you, if you would, just like close your eyes and just be thinking on these gospel responses. But I just want to clearly share something with you. Jesus Christ came into the midst of darkness, into the midst of rebellion, into the midst of rioting, into the midst of confusion, into the midst of a bunch of self-righteous Pharisees who thought they were greater than everybody else but yet lived in the sin too. Jesus Christ came into the midst of a broken culture, a distorted culture, a culture that was pleasing themselves and not God, a culture that was uh, sexually immoral, a culture that was murdering each other, raging in wars, a culture not too different than ours. And when Jesus Christ came into that culture, He lived with both grace and truth. Today, do you believe that Jesus Christ came for you to give you truth, the truth that without Him you'll live for eternity separated from Him? The grace that on the cross He gave up His life for you. The power that in the resurrection, you too can overcome death and have life. If you've never believed in that, I'd love to talk to you. I'm going to be over here at the side. Feel free to come grab me if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. We have other people around here. Our prayer team leaders can be available if y'all be available as well. We'd love to pray with you, lead you back to Christ, lead you to Christ for the first time. Or maybe you say, man, I've never done all the things that you mentioned that Paul and Jesus did, and I want to know more. We'd love to connect you with how to grow in that. Let me pray for you. Father, convict us of what we haven't done that we should have. Convict us of what we've done and shouldn't have. And compel us to do what you've called us to do. May your Holy Spirit work in our lives and your word not return back void. We love you and trust you in your son's name. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.